0: Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to Cracking Addiction and today we have with us Dr. Manu Bhatnagar who's come back to talk to us about ADHD. So Manu, uh, we've previously discussed, you know, the the concepts of, of prevalence and how ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder that has to be present from childhood and it may persist into adulthood and there's a Roughly a, a kind of a 50% persistence rate, if you, if you will. So I thought today we'd talk about how we screen for ADHD, both in children and given that we are both working in the field of addiction. Also, how we screen for ADHD in adults. So first of all, what is if we talk about impulsivity and inattention and, and um, hyperkinesis, Talk us through those core concepts first.
1: I might try with inattention first because I feel like that's definitely going to be the more common presentation, especially for an adult population. And when we're talking about people who have other disorders and we're questioning whether it could be ADHD, it's usually because the kids who have hyperactivity as a core component get picked up on earlier. But inattention... I think there's a misconception, um, that people think because of the name ADHD, that those who are effective have a deficiency in attention and so they just yes. can't pay attention to anything. But in fact, you'll find a lot of people who have ADHD can do really, really good work and be hyper-focused on a particular thing. And so yeah. that's where we can differentiate concentration and attention. So concentration, mm-hmm. I need to do something. I'm going to spend a couple of hours and I'm going to do it, um, and I'm going to put the whole world aside and I can, I can do that. That's good concentration. Inattention is you try to do that. I'm going to sit down on my desk and I'm going to study for this exam that's coming up for two hours, and you try and you start and you do really well, but then all of a sudden that YouTube video that you really love to watch has come
0: Like through. this YouTube video.
1: This is a prime <laughs> example of a great thing that would distract someone with ADHD. <laughs> so you've, you've got – let's think of um, – dopamine and norepinephrine or adrenaline Mm -hmm. as the currency of the brain that's what we think is behind adhd the inattention that's a core component of everyone pretty much with adhd isn't a lack of that currency it's not that you're poor of those chemicals it's more about the fact that your brain just wants to spend that money constantly at whatever it sees in front of it and so Mm -hmm. it's the lack of attention it's that you cannot focus on a particular thing for the amount of time needed to be functional and so yeah unless that unless you are hyper focused
0: so you know can we draw this this concept of what is hyper focus because for some kids studying for exams if they like the subject could be a
1: manifestation of hyper focus and for anything else they hate it Yep. yeah Definitely, and you'll find that some kids, um, and this can grow into adults as well, they have a really, really favourite subject. And it's mm. not like, I, I like this subject a little bit more than others. It's that I will drop everything and just focus on this subject. Yes. And that could be very, very tailored to that person's mm. taste. So it could be maths, it could be science, it could be creative, but it happens as a priority over everything else. Yeah. Um, whereas for unaffected individuals, it can be something that makes them happier, but doesn't come at a compromise uh, for everything. Yeah. So hyperfocus isn't something that is a part of the diagnostic criteria, but definitely you see it clinically.
0: Mm. Yeah, and and I suppose for me, that was one of the biggest um, learning points for me was that, that you could have inattention and yet be hyperfocused and very successful in one particular area of of, of, of thinking and so I, I, I used to think that you know if you were if an, an expert could never have ADHD that's that's one of the things that I thought about. What do
1: you say to that? The, I would disagree I feel like there are a lot of people who get very very good um, rewards either tangibly or intangibly from mm. being successful at their tiny little niche addiction medicine for example hypothetically Mm -hmm. and they go all the way through high school university and then on further studies because they have the um, social constructs around them that can allow them to flourish but perhaps if you look at their entire life um, they're not able to maintain those functional gains in other things and you know if you were able to pick someone up and put them in another area they might not be able to flourish and academically perform just as well so i think it is a myth that adhd results in people being entirely dysfunctional and you cannot succeed because of it
0: mm-hmm. all right so we've talked about you you were kind of talking about the the distinction between concentration and attention i'm still not clear
1: can you can you just um clarify so, that for me so concentration is the ability to sustain focus Um, for a long period of time without any distractions. And attention is the ability to prioritize something as being worthy of focus. Right.
0: So salience, really.
1: That's right, yeah. So that's really derived from um, your ability to be able to see everything in front of you and um, pick what's most important based on decisions that are going to have the best outcome for you. And with ADHD, inattention happens because you know that that assignment is due on Friday and you've only got 24 hours to do it, but this other thing that will give you more of a pat on the back, more of a reward intrinsically, just in, automatically takes over. And that can be seen yeah. as procrastination yeah. from the outside. Parents may see their kids as doing absolutely nothing at all, but really they're listening to their favourite music or they're watching something, uh, they're playing a computer game, which they derive more satisfaction from um, at the cost of something that's more productive. Right. So right, when When that happens, you're not able to start, tasks that are important so you just don't never get around to it so that's one of the inattentive criteria uh, yeah. and when you do get this burst of energy and say I'm really going to write that essay or I'm really going to look into that topic it doesn't fulfill that adrenaline that maybe you first get when you think about doing that task because something else takes over, um, or it just wasn't as interesting as you initially thought, and so task completion is also uh, an issue. So you'll find a lot of people with ADHD have ten things that they want to do, and they've started all of them, but then they've given up halfway through.
0: Yeah, yeah. The inability to complete—that's that's one for me—is one of the diagnostic criteria there. So, so we've talked about the the, inattent- the inattentive symptoms, and I and I would make the point that I think it's actually more difficult, or or rather, children fall through the diagnostic net when they have the predominant inattention subtype of ADHD because they're usually the daydreamers that, that no, one really, no one really notices until they start not meeting their full academic potential, perhaps later on even in high school. Whereas the other type, uh, the other subtype, the, the hyperkinetic, well, they break the furniture from the age of two or three, don't they?
1: I mean, they're, they're very easily diagnosed. What, what, what's, what's your comment on that? Absolutely. I think the most common symptom of the hyperactive or hyperkinetic subtype yeah. is that of fid- fidgeting. So not being able to sit still. And that could be a very obvious motor symptom of uh, a lot of children um, mm-hmm. who are fidgeting with their hands. They always need to have something in their hands to be able to yeah. maneuver or break apart or put together. They're always tapping their legs. Um, yeah. It's a lot more um, pronounced than Just boredom uh, that could cause fidget. It's disruptive and it's also distressing for them because Mm. the children affected with uh, hyperactivity really feel that internal sense of agitation about having to get up and do something. Um, So Mm. expecting them to sit still is actually counterproductive uh, because it just bottles up all of that hyperkinesis until something catastrophic happens later on.
0: And so there's an explosion of movement.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know that, that can often be paired with. Um, Really strong interpersonal conflicts because Mm -hmm. one is restrained and they're not able to use their physical self to express themselves and anger becomes a part of that hyperactivity as well if if the right circumstances allow
0: so where does impulsivity fall into this dichotomous
1: diagnostic construct the nature of impulsivity I think is in a bit of in the middle of both inattention and hyperkinesis um so a lot of yeah. people will still fit that hyperactivity subset mm-hmm. or a mixed type of adhd despite not fidgeting despite not having those uh, uh, overt motor symptoms at the end of the bed. one example of impulsivity that's a bit of both of hyperactivity impulsivity is when someone else is having a conversation and someone who has adhd just interjects in the middle and starts a yeah. conversation yeah. and that's, that's both. An yeah, yeah. So that's both a motor reflex of the hyperactivity, but it also demonstrates inattention because the thing that was happening before you spoke, the conversation may not have been interesting enough to attract your attention.
0: Yeah, sure. So we've talked about you know how, how it presents. Um, I think you know is there a is there a sex gender issue in the way it presents?
1: You know, yeah, in kids versus adults. In kids, and I think we can probably say across the board, but definitely the studies that have been done in kids would say that it's a two-to-one boys-to-girl ratio. Um, Now, look, this has changed. If you look at the last 20 years, some of our diagnostic criteria, the DSM, for example, um, has changed how we understand ADHD. For example, in previous iterations of the DSM, having an autistic spectrum disorder precluded you from having an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, was yeah. thought that inattention and hyperactivity were subsets of ASD, autistic spectrum disorder. Um, mm-hmm. Now we don't believe that. So when it comes to gender, um, a lot of the studies that have been done about that misattribution were because of um, ASD being incorporated as a potential neurodivergent illness mm. and accounting for a lot of these boys who have inattention as well.
0: What do you think about this idea that maybe girls are more prone to the inattentive subtype Rather than boys, and therefore they get diagnosed less frequently.
1: I think I think that's yeah. There's definitely some truth to that, and they have probably evaded a lot of these studies that I'll call mm. boys two to one uh, more yeah. effective. Um, and the the fact that girls have a lot more relationships with peers that can often mask uh, the inattentive symptoms, um, or perhaps uh, are in environments where, in the past succeeding academically or functionally in the work environment wasn't allowed or in certain cultures isn't expected means that those Mm. symptoms um, aren't as disabling as they can be for boys and hence the diagnosis isn't made but definitely we're seeing a lot of young women in their 20s coming out trying to succeed in a corporate environment or in full-time work saying that they're having all of the symptoms of adhd
0: okay so We've talked about generally, you know, the the, the the way it's it's thought of. You know, it's a disorder of inattention or impulsivity or or um, hyperactivity. How would you think about it? How if how, what what tools would you use, or how how would you approach the idea of a child in front of you having ADHD? What's your what's your kind of diagnostic pathway? You know, do you use screening tools? Do you
1: use collateral interviews? What's what's your approach? Yeah, look, I think screening tools are really helpful because um, having a structured way of approaching ADHD is really important when you're talking about um, a very complex set of symptoms that are very unique to each individual. So having some... Some semblance of objectivity, even though these rating scales can be very subjective, is important to be able to not only achieve a diagnosis but also track progress. And doing them periodically is important to see how treatments are working and how disabling they are. That being said, a lot of the recommendations suggest that that screening tools alone aren't good enough to diagnose ADHD, especially with um, teenagers, because uh, they may be very many reasons why a self-report from a teenager cannot point to a particular diagnosis for example as I mentioned anxiety is very common in the adolescent group and also account for a lot of inattentive symptoms so a young person who's presenting with these symptoms will usually present not of their own volition but because a school um has asked for a review a parent has been saying i've been really struggling with this behavior for a while or someone will notice a really strong deterioration where someone's potential academically isn't being met by their performance so having that referral source is invaluable and something that we really struggle with for adults because you have that objective secondhand opinion about how someone is in an environment where they're meant to be functional they're meant to perform so taking a history history and doing an assessment of the patient is obviously the first and most important thing, but then having some um, collateral information from a parent and a teacher, and then also a screening tool, I think provides a robust amount of information to be able to reach that diagnosis.
0: So you've introduced the idea of not meeting academic goals as kind of as a key symptom, especially in children. what, Let's talk about it from the point of view of a parent. What might a parent say to you that would make you think, yes, this child has got ADHD? What would be the symptoms
1: in the home domain, as it were? Well, I think the hyperactivity, if that's um, a subtype that that child is presenting, is is going to be the most obvious. And you alluded to the the destructive nature of a child who is active can lead to broken toys in the the bedroom, Mm -hmm. Um, frustration of not being able to complete a task or
0: that
1: that energy leading to um, anger between siblings or between parents, Mm -hmm. Uh, and also a sense of shame from the child um, because of multiple attempts to do something they really enjoy, be it sport or joining a new um, academic pursuit and uh, wanting to be part of a, a class but not being able to fulfill all the requirements so starting very many things that might be interesting either by the child or the parents getting them introduced to new areas new concepts but seeing yeah. that they struggle to maintain effort in applying them or persisting with them is yeah. going to always be the most important sign of adhd mm. And for a lot of kids, that happens much earlier if there's a hyperactive component.
0: Yeah. I often hear the phrase uh, that sticks in my mind, actually, is he could do so much more if only he applied himself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I think that's important to note because that's also what these kids probably still hear. If they don't have access to mental health supports or a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They don't know that they have ADHD, and so what they're hearing is that they're failing because they're not good enough. Yeah. That sense of shame, if it's instilled in you early enough, can really ingrain itself for the rest of your life. And I think we've got pretty good evidence that the way that we're treating kids with ADHD is accounting for all of the comorbid conditions like anxiety and depression and substance use that come along with it. So it's really hard to, you know, undo. You can treat ADHD with a pill. You can't undo years of having undiagnosed ADHD and what that might do to someone's sense of self.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we're talking about people who are very vulnerable in a critical neuroplastic growth phase. And and it's so important to get this diagnosis as accurately and as early as possible. Now, you mentioned, um, you know, screening tools. So what what kind of, what, what is a screening tool on specifically what, screening tools might we use
1: mm-hmm.
0: when we've got a child in front of us thinking, um, considering ADHD?
1: Yeah, and this is very different for uh, for a child as compared mm-hmm. to an adult. And I think the yeah. best practice for a child is to use the resources in their school um, and use the family's experience of what they're seeing at home versus what they're mm-hmm. seeing. Um, so the, the gold standard is using um, something like the Connors or yeah. the Diva. And these are very... Yeah um, well-tested and robust studies, screening tools that have high sensitivity and specificity for ADHD. But for kids, what's also often best practice is not to just administer this in one hour with a paediatrician or a psychiatrist. Best practice would be also to do many other measures of intellectual functioning, including an IQ test and um, verbal literacy Mm -hmm. and use a neuropsychologist. Um, to assess mm. someone for four to six hours to see, mm. okay, if it isn't ADHD, can we find something else that's accounting for your yeah. deficits at school? Yeah. There could be language disorders or um, mm. spectrum disorder that come as a result of those assessments.
0: Which goes back to our previous comments in, pre- in a previous episode where really the art of the differential diagnosis is absolutely crucial. And you mentioned two words when you were describing the the Connor screening test, which was sensitivity and specificity. So sensitivity means, you know, if it's there, we'll notice it. And specificity means if it's not there, we'll also notice it. We'll know it's not there. So a valid yes and a valid no, really. But it's, you know, it's absolutely crucial to consider alternative uh, diagnoses in kids. I mean, can you give us a flavor of what else might be causing these? I mean, you've mentioned language disorder. Is there anything else?
1: I think, from a psychiatry point of view,
0: hmm.
1: anxiety is always the number one yeah. differential diagnosis. And, and
0: just to be clear, it's it's perfectly reasonable to make a diagnosis of anxiety in a in a in a child who's five or six years old.
1: I think when we're talking about the DSM criteria, something like a generalized anxiety disorder, it may not meet that threshold. But when you think about um, the environment in which a child is attempting to succeed or trying to be functional, the nature of anxiety as a symptom can be so disabling that it looks like inattention. And so perhaps not the diagnosis of general Mm. anxiety disorder, although that can happen um, Mm. under 10, but parent child attachment and dysfunction in that relationship can lead to symptoms such as anxiety and low mood and fear which resemble inattention. Mm. What
0: other diagnoses might you consider apart from anxiety symptoms or or diagnoses? Well,
1: I I think, and this is where people will um, have a debate as well currently, but autistic spectrum disorder is a big one where it's really important to get in early, not just from a treatment and maintenance point of view, but also if you are under the age of six years old, having an assessment to say you have autistic spectrum disorder in Australia can derive a lot of supports through funding and resources. And mm-hmm. if you have that all set up before the age of six, then all of schooling can be set up under the assumption that this person needs a lot of extra support. So assuming someone has ADHD and getting done and dusted with that derives less attention from Uh, social services and schools to provide a structured environment. But if you Mm -hmm. look for comorbid diagnoses that could account for inattention or those symptoms, um, ASD is definitely one that you should not miss.
0: So really, there's actually a moral obligation on the part of diagnosticians, be they doctors or psychologists, to actually get the diagnosis of autism either in or out with the co when when we're thinking about the co-occurring disorder of ADHD because as you say there is this financial benefit yeah which translates into psychosocial interventions which translates into you know a, a per- an altered successful trajectory
1: absolutely and and that yeah. degree of self-awareness and insight into someone's illness from a very early age can yeah. allow them to be um, a lot more functional and understand the neurodiversity from from early on
0: yeah. We haven't even got to adults yet, uh, Manu, but we have uh, run out of time. I want to thank you for your time and expertise tonight, and I really hope we can speak again very soon. Thank you. All right. See you soon, family. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction.